I'm Chris. And I'm Crystal. We've been friends for 4,910 days. Wow. And this is Fiction Fan and Otherwise. A podcast where we make our own fun. Yes, we do. So today we're going to be doing something a little bit weird. Yeah, we're essentially sort of using the the vaguest bits of a pre-existing piece of media to kind of make our own piece of media. So about two years ago in the throes of the panini, I decided that I was a little bit underwhelmed with life, I guess. What is that? There's a better word, I think, but I just was not... We were simply going through it. Yes, <laughs> we were. And so I decided to make a little bit of my own fun. I wanted to make a YouTube channel because I thought maybe that would make me feel something. And like, I'm not very good at doing things on my own, hence why, you know, Chris and I are doing a podcast together. And so I asked Christiana if she had a movie or anything that she had seen before and we were going to play a little game of telephone. I mean, it was a while ago now, but essentially, as I recall it, you were like, Pick a movie that I've definitely never seen that's also really weird. Describe it to me. Don't tell me the summary. <laughs> no, describe the plot beat for beat as best you can remember it. And then I'm going to take what you described to me, use it to write a script, and then we'll compare it to the actual movie to see how close I was, essentially. So it's exactly like you said. It was basically like movie scripts telephone. Yeah, and the, the fun thing about this is at the point that Christiana told me about the film, she hadn't seen it for about six months. I told her she was not allowed to look at the summary of the film in order to tell me the plot stuff. And so she really just had to, you know, wing it. And then I did write a script. And so we were going to, like, read the script. And then the final, like, conclusion of that video was going to be watching the original movie, sort of comparing it, and then, like, judging which one was better. And it ended up not really panning out, but the script was written, and we recently sort of remembered this whole train of events, and we were like, well, what if we read the script now and just took what we were going to do in the video and converted it to podcast format, which kind of brings us to today, I guess. Yeah, the fun thing about this script is that neither of us have seen it for two years. I don't even remember anything about it. Yeah, I don't remember basically anything about it either. So that'll be fun. You'll get our sort of genuine reactions as if we're reading it again for the first time. So the I think the roadmap that we plan to kind of follow for today's episode is, well, first, I'm going to tell you what the movie is. I will read you the IMDb summary and maybe give you like the barest hint of background information about it. And I want to say I have never heard this summary of the film before, so it's going to be a surprise to me as well. And Crystal's also, to this day, never watched the movie, which I'll get yeah. to in a second. So I'll introduce it. Crystal's going to read the notes that she took when I was describing the plot of this movie to her two years ago. And then we're going to read the script. And then we're going to leave and watch the movie and come back and sort of give our reactions. And we're going to rate them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We are going to rate both of them and like talk about where we fucked up and where it seemed good and what was better about the movie versus the script and vice versa. And my feeling is that we should rate my script prior to watching the movie and then again after watching the movie. Yeah, I think that would be really fun. So let's get into your summary of this movie. So the movie that I picked is called Unicorn Store. It's a 2017 movie written by... Samantha McIntyre and directed by Brie Larson and Brie Larson also stars and this is I watched this on Netflix because I like Brie Larson and it looked weird and those two things were true Brie Larson is in it and it is weird <laughs> um <laughs> so when Crystal was like hey pick a weird movie that I've definitely never seen this was like a perfect candidate because I feel like I am one of maybe 10 people that was interested in watching this movie <laughs> And it, it's very strange, but it's also like lighthearted and funny enough that I was like, well, this will be fun. So if you've never seen this movie, which probably you haven't because very few people I think did, uh, the summary on IMDb at least says, Kit, a 20-something dreamer, receives That's an invitation. Yeah. Oh my God. I've never heard her name before. <laughs> Yeah, when I described this movie, I also couldn't remember her name. And that's funny because we have a friend named Kit. So how could I forget that this was also the character's name? Anyway, so it says Kit, a 20-something dreamer, receives an invitation that would fulfill her childhood dreams. You may also be interested to know that the IMDb rating is 5.6 out of 10. So not great. That's the summary? That's it? That's it. <laughs> I mean, that's like the log line. Maybe the Netflix summary has something more? 
Oh, yeah, let's definitely look at that, because I love Netflix summaries just in general anyway. After failing out of art school and taking a humdrum office job, a whimsical painter gets a chance to fulfill her lifelong dream of adopting a unicorn. (laughs) I'm going to be real with you. I cannot remember how I worked the unicorn into the script, but we will see. Certainly. We certainly will. So it stars Brie Larson, Samuel L. Jackson, and Joan Cusack, and its genres are listed as comedy, drama, and independent movie. All right. Well, I mean, it sounds like a fun film. You know, it sounds kind of camp. Love that. Do we want to sort of read the summary you gave me two years ago? I would love to hear what I could remember about this movie at that time, because I'm sure I remember even less now. I put the summary at the top of the script because I didn't want to get rid of it because it felt uh, like history. And I did name the protagonist, but I did not name her Kit. I gave her a first, middle, and last name. Love that. (laughs) Her name is Jenny Claire Larson. I think I was taking a stab in the dark with the two first names, seeing if anything came up. Uh, And no. (laughs) No. No. But good for her. Okay, so the summary you gave me and that I typed down, so who knows what you actually told me, but here we go. Um, She's an unsuccessful abstract artist, and she's girly. She lives with her parents. She's unresponsible. She is a bird who is being ejected, in parentheses, slowly from the nest. Parents, all caps, are not uptight. She is a black sheep because she wears colorful clothing. In parentheses, it says ironic, I know. She gets a temp job with an ad firm. Corporate job makes her sad. She somehow meets a cool, mysterious, very well-dressed Sam Jackson. He has a store that he says he uses to get uh, people their heart's desire, which apparently for Jenny is a unicorn. In order for him to give her the unicorn, she has to build a place to put it. She decides her parents' backyard is that place. (laughs) I love this. Okay, she still hates her job. She befriends a nice Home Depot man who helps her with the building. He thinks she's crazy. So that's what I got. Did I not tell you how the movie ended? (laughs) No. (laughs) Love that for us. I mean, you gave me a lot of wiggle room here. Yeah, I mean, I did give you like the bare bones of what happens in that movie. You essentially did all the character building for me, and then I just had to figure out the plot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so the name of my script is Unicorns Fix Everything. (laughs) Um, I feel like, you know, that's, that's pretty accurate, actually. Okay, so do you want me to do the narration, or how do you want to do this? Ooh, do we want to cast ourselves first? That would be hysterical, I think. So who are our characters? We have Mother, we have Jenny. I I love how I named the Mother character, just Mother. We have Rick, who I believe is the Home Depot man. We have have Samuel L. Jackson, who I... (laughs) I named Samuel L. Jackson. You didn't even try to give him a character name. You were like, it's just him. Oh, God. I hope that that's addressed. (laughs) Damn. Okay, we have Brad. Oh, Brad is the hardware store guy. Who's Rick? I think Rick trains her at her job. Okay. Wow. We don't get to the hardware store until page five. So we have Brad. Okay, that's it. So who wants to be Jenny? I would love to be Jenny. So that means I'm everybody else. Oh, really? Well, because she's I mean, in every yeah, she, scene. That's that's fair. Okay, yeah, this works. I'll also read the narration. Okay. Interior, parents' house, living room, day. Jenny, 27, covered in paint, stands in front of a very large canvas, head cocked to one side. She looks at the canvas with confusion and mild distaste. Behind Jenny, her mother can be seen entering the room. She looks from Jenny to the canvas and proceeds to cock her head and look upon the art with a similar expression to Jenny. Mother purses her lips, and with an indrawn breath, walks over to Jenny with a smile plastered over her features. Jenny? Mother grabs Jenny's arm and pulls her. Jenny's body turns, but she continues to stare at the canvas. Your father and I were wondering if you had taken that temp job you were offered? The, um, law firm? Advertising agency. Yes. We just wanted to know if you had done anything with it, really. Mother laughs. (laughs) Jenny finally turns toward Mother. I'm still a bit, I don't know, unsure? I mean, I've really been... My art is looking... Jenny. Jenny stops talking and purses her lips. Mother glances at the canvas and slow blinks before turning back to Jenny. Your father and I are not uptight people, but we're also not infinitely patient, so take the damn job. Jenny nods. I love how I included the exact way that you worded it to me. (laughs) 
All caps are not uptight. I love how this is truly the polar opposite of, like, show don't tell. Like, we are just going to tell you that we are not uptight. Yeah. The fun thing about this is that, like, since I wrote this, I've spent two years in a filmmaking master's program. I'm seeing the, the, the mistakes, you know? I'm definitely using, like... Words like before she does something, which you're supposed to be completely active. But you know, it's fun. It's it's a little it's a little piece of my little history. But also, I just want everyone to know that this is not how I write now. <laughs> we have improved <laughs> greatly, I would say. Oh my god. Okay. So continuing on, interior cool advertising agency mailroom day. Jenny stands next to a squat man, Rick, who appears to be showing her how to organize the mail in the mail cart. Always stack the mail in the correct receptacle, okay? And like we talked about with the mail wall, the mail cart has an ultra-specific numbering and lettering system for the receptacles. Close on receptacle labeled floor 4, cubicles 1 through 20. So you grab the sorted mail from the mail wall receptacle, cross-reference the label on the mail wall receptacle with the label on the cart receptacle, and place the mail into the corresponding receptacle in the cart, okay? After placing the mail in the correct receptacle, you should proceed back to the mail wall to collect mail from a new receptacle. Do not grab mail from more than one mail wall receptacle at a time, okay? Once the mail reaches the mail wall, it has been sorted and unsorting the mail, even by accident, will not be tolerated. Okay? Rick's voice continues to drone on in the background as Jenny stares into space with dead eyes. Do we want to talk about Rick at all, or are we just going to move on? I would love to know if you looked up how mail rooms and office buildings work before this, or if you truly made it all up. Oh, I made this all up, bitch. Love it. <laughs> I was very excited to use the word receptacle a lot. And also halfway through his monologue, I decided he says okay a lot, which I appreciate. I did. I did notice that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Begin montage. Jenny places mail into the wall receptacles. Jenny moves mail from the wall receptacles to the cart receptacles. Jenny pushes the cart to a wall of other outbound carts. Jenny places more mail in the wall receptacles. Jenny moves the mail from the wall to the cart. Jenny moves the cart to the outbound cart section. Rinse and repeat. Close on Jenny's dead-eyed face. End montage. Do you think she likes this job? <laughs> I mean, no one that I know that has ever worked with mail enjoyed it, so... Fair enough. Exterior city street dusk. Jenny rubs her eyes and kicks a soda can down the street. She looks pretty icky. She kicks a soda can? <laughs> and she looks icky. <laughs> she hustles down the street, headed toward a bus station. She pulls her jacket closer around her. Jenny is thrown to the ground as something slams into her from behind. As she pushes herself up, another body becomes visible on the ground beside her. What the hell, dude? The man, Samuel L. Jackson, is outfitted in a yellow tuxedo and bright yellow rollerblades. He groans from the ground. He shakes his head and slowly tries to push himself up, but like a newborn calf, is unable to get his legs under him. <laughs> anything. Is there anything you want to say to me? The man grabs a light pole and begins to pull himself up with some success. Give me a second, lady. Just trying to work something out over here. <laughs> Jenny harumphs loudly. Samuel L. Jackson gets a death grip on the pole and finally pulls his legs toward his body. Chill out. You're taking the cute out of me cute. Okay, who the hell do you think you are? Samuel L. Jackson carefully releases one hand from the pole and gestures to the all of him. Jenny crosses her arms and stares at him unimpressed. Samuel L. Jackson stares at her intensely for a beat. Suddenly, he grasps his head with his free hand. He lets out a low and extended hiss before reaching out toward Jenny, eyes pointed toward the sky. Jenny takes a startled step back. For the one known as Jenny, I, a psychic, deliver this message to your... ears. Jenny gasps. Close on. A button on Jenny's purse strap emblazoned with her name. I can see your heart, your greatest wish, and with this knowledge I can grant that wish. Jenny steps forward. Yes! Yes! What do you see? Samuel L. Jackson suddenly locks eyes with Jenny. I see... a unicorn. Jenny gasps again and moves closer. I... Yeah, I want, I want that, yes. But how? Silence. Listen. In three weeks' time, we will meet again, right here, in this spot. In this time, you will have built a home, stall, pen, thing. If I am to give you this creature, you must be able to house it. Jenny nods aggressively. Okay, I can do... Three weeks! <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson slowly pushes himself away from the pole and crosses the street to get away from her. Jenny waves ecstatically at him. Samuel L. Jackson waves her off and speeds away in the opposite direction. Three weeks! 
Jenny nods aggressively once more. She looks around before pulling out her phone and typing fast. Hardware store. Hardware store. Interior. Hardware store. Night. Jenny stands in an aisle staring at a shelf. Her gaze slides between nails and screws. She starts to reach for one, but abruptly pulls her hand back. Uh, do you need some help? Brad stands at the end of an aisle watching her. Supposedly, he has been watching her do this for some time. Jenny looks at him and then back at the nails and screws. No, I... Yes. Jenny grabs a box of each item and walks up to him. So, these two. What is the difference? I mean, not like, what is the difference between these obviously different things, but more like, why choose one and not the other? What is their purpose or job or whatever? You know? Brad stares at her wide-eyed. Um, it really depends on the, you know what? Why don't you tell me your project, and maybe I can shine a little light on the best option for you. Well, okay. I'm building a pen, er, stable? To house a unicorn. God, I'm stuck at what to use to hold it together, and I don't even know what I'm using that needs to be held together. I don't... A unicorn? For, like, a birthday party? No, for me. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. A man who I am quite convinced is a psychic told me he could grant me my heart's desire, which is a unicorn. And if I built it a home, he would give it to me in three weeks. Jenny nods once to emphasize her point. Okay, gonna just go with this. So you need to build it a pen. Jenny nods. In three weeks. Jenny nods again. Do you have any clue where to start? Jenny shakes her head. Brad looks her up and down and shakes his head. He turns away from her and places a hand on his head. He turns back to her and winces. You want my help. Jenny's eyes light up. Oh my god! Would you? No, really. You're serious? Jenny steps forward and hugs him. Brad looks bashful and nods. Begin montage. Brad holds up a box of nails and talks, and then the box of screws and talks. Jenny nods along to what he is saying. Brad takes Jenny to a lumber section, and she looks around wide-eyed. Jenny gives Brad her number and leaves waving and smiling as she does. Exterior parents' house, day. Brad and Jenny are both in work clothes. Brad is hauling lumber into the yard as Jenny watches. Brad shows Jenny the drill gun. She looks on wide-eyed. Jenny holds the drill gun away from her body as she turns it on. Brad starts to build the frame of a structure as Jenny holds it up. Brad and Jenny are in new clothes as Mother brings out tea. Father can be seen looking horrified from a window. Jenny is hammering many bent nails into the side of a wall. Brad watches, wincing. Jenny lays face down on the ground as Brad works on in the background. Brad and Jenny are in new outfits. Jenny is trying to use the drill gun. Brad steadies her by holding her hand. Prolonged eye contact is made. Brad uses a post holer, and Jenny holds a measuring tape. Jenny and Brad put posts into the holes made by the post holer. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with that one. Okay, end montage. Exterior parents' house day. Jenny and Brad sit in the grass side by side. I can't believe we did this. Brad looks at Jenny and smiles. Honestly, neither can I. Jenny tears up a little. She turns to Brad. Brad, do you think... Will you come with me to get the unicorn tomorrow? Brad laughs. Honestly, I can't think of anything better. Exterior, city street, dusk. Brad and Jenny sit on the sidewalk and wait for Samuel L. Jackson. Jenny grabs Brad's hand. The end. Cute. <laughs> I didn't mention the job at all. Again. Ever again. <laughs> I love how I named the film Unicorns Fix Everything, and then there's no unicorns in the film at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm, if I recall correctly, this is something that holds true of the real movie as well. Really? Don't I, spoil things! <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I mean, I like I said, it's been two and a half years, so I could be fully wrong with that. Maybe it's full of unicorns. Okay, let's critique first before we get into, like, what we like about it. I appreciate that I brought the parents back in. I didn't really bring her art up again, or that she's a failing art student, or any of that. I, di I didn't bring her art up again, and I definitely did not bring her job up again, so there was no point of that, like, two-page long scene in her doing the job. I mean, I definitely agree. I feel like that could have cropped up again maybe in one of the montages as like something that continues to weigh on her while the like sort of the light of the hope from the unicorn is like helping her get through it maybe mm -hmm. i think that it could have been you know something in the montage right like there could have been something with her coming home from work 
looking dead and then having to do more work. It could have been something where that's why she was laying in the grass. Like, could have definitely, like, snuck it in there. I do like that the parents show back up so that they weren't just, like, sort of a vehicle to start the plot. But Mm -hmm. also, I feel like her mom would have had more of an issue with it than she seemed to. Well, I think that the idea was that her mom just, like, sort of goes along with her stuff. And even if she doesn't, like, think it's good, she tells her what she wants to hear anyway. Because, like, at the beginning, I was implying that Jenny's art is bad. (laughs) And her mom wouldn't tell her that. So I feel like it kind of makes sense that her mom would just sort of float in and out. Like, okay, this is what you're doing now. That's fine. It's like, as long as you're employed, you can build whatever you want in the backyard with your little friend from the hardware store. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that there could have also been, because this is only eight pages, I feel like there could have been like a, a conflict, right? Where maybe there's like a match cut between her in the backyard looking really happy to her standing in the same sort of position but looking miserable at work and that like maybe rick is going off on her well as much as i feel like he can he seems kind of monotone and whatever but like sort of talking to her aggressively about the fact that you know she hasn't really been paying as much attention at work she has to like decide if she's gonna keep doing the unicorn thing or if she's gonna like try to apply herself at work more you know Yeah, I definitely see that. I also feel like maybe there could have been a little bit more conflict between her and Brad with the fact that he obviously doesn't believe her. And it seems at the end, like, he's still willing to play along, but maybe there could have been a scene where it's like, there's some tension about how he's obviously not taking this seriously in the way that she is, and maybe he starts to because of that. Mm -hmm. Or at least they find some resolution about the fact that he obviously doesn't think that it's real. Yeah. Also, just the fact that, like, I definitely implied that it was Samuel and Jackson in a yellow suit and wearing rollerblades, and he was like, you don't recognize me? <laughs> like, <laughs> that could have been pretty good. Well, I mean, like, I feel like he was trying to say that. Am I wrong? I don't know. I can't, because I couldn't decide if whether I thought you had cast Samuel L. Jackson as himself in this role, or if... You just couldn't think of a character name that would be better than his real name. I, like, knowing my brain, I am almost certain that this is Samuel L. Jackson. So this is just a world where esteemed actor Samuel L. Jackson is pretending to be a psychic to trick girls that he meets randomly on the street into the fact that he can give them unicorns that don't exist? There's, see, the the logic isn't really logicking here, because I think what I was trying to do was, like, she was being very strange, and so he fucked with her. <laughs> so he was like, I have to match this energy. Yeah. I love that. Either that, or he was like, I, I want to get away from you. I don't know. I don't know why he did it, <laughs> to be honest Who can you. ever parse the complex decision-making behind esteemed actor Samuel L. Jackson? Yeah, but, like, I wrote him, so I should... <laughs> yeah okay i think it's fun and i think there's like definitely some room for like if i were to rewrite this today right i would add some conflict with work conflict with brad and make samuel jackson's character make a little bit more sense yeah i think that's fair i like that i left it at the end like you don't even know if she's gonna get a unicorn or not yeah the ambiguity was good and i liked that they were i thought the holding hands was cute I mean, I think that it could be, like, cast Samuel L. Jackson as a psychic. If, I think I would change that because he does say three weeks a lot, which makes it seem, like, the more times he says it, the more you're like, wait, okay, I believe you, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, you know, maybe I would change that up a little bit, make him a little bit more serious about it. Like, obviously not change his dialogue very much, but, like, his intention, I guess, behind it. Yeah, I also feel like maybe she's convinced a little too quickly, because not necessarily that she's not naive enough to be talked into it, it's just that she goes from, like, really, like, hostile and kind of concerned about this, like, person that just roller skated into her, to, like, fully believing him very fast. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think so. I, like, either that or I need to make her a little bit more gullible earlier on. Yeah, like, less standoffish at the beginning of the interaction. Well, I think that, like, she could be standoffish and then gullible. You know, she hears what she wants to hear and then everything else disappears. But I have to, like, make that a part of her character in an earlier scene is what I was trying to say. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like this could be a fun little short film. And I would only have to add, like, a couple pages. 
Definitely. And I think that you've got some like character moments in there that are like feel very real. Like the laying face down on the ground while he works in the background, I think is hysterical. Like I can just <laughs> picture that shot so easily. <laughs> yeah. And I like, I really like how I wrote Brad because he's trying so hard to be nice. <laughs> And he's also just like, I don't, I don't know what this is about. But I like, you know, I think it's nice to have like a, a man character who's not immediately like dismissing her as well. Yeah, like it's obvious that he thinks something weird's going on, but he also thinks she's like nice and needs help. And he's like, I'll help you. Yeah. And I like the montage where he's teaching her about the screws and the, and the nails. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think the montage could have been a little shorter. Probably. Because it seems like most of the movie is montage at this point. I, I feel like there's like some good bones here. I mean, we would have to add some stuff in order for it to make a little bit more sense. But it could probably be like a 10 to 12 page screenplay. Yeah, it's a cute little short film. So do we want to go ahead and give it like a rating? Yeah, okay. So let's, can we give it two ratings? The The first one is just for me. We don't have to rate this again. But how funny is it out of 10? <laughs> I would give it like a, a solid eight because I feel like with the right actors, the like humor that you put in it would really shine through. I feel like just us reading it, it didn't come across so much because I mean, I'm not an actor. So, so <laughs> I can only give you so much to work with. But I think if you got some people who were funny in the roles, they could land it in such a way that it would be very funny. I don't really write uh, comedies anymore. And so it's funny because... My humor is definitely, like, absurd humor, right? It's somebody is acting so weird. <laughs> right. And that's that's what makes something funny. Or, like, the thing with the mailroom. Like, that right now is cracking me up. So I think I would give it a 7, just because, like, some parts I felt like it was trying a little hard. Yeah. Uh, but there was a lot in here that, like, made me laugh again. Like, you know, it's a little bit self-serving. But there was some stuff in here that I was just like, oh, my God. So our first rating was humor, and our second rating is going to be just, like, general feelings. Yeah, just, like, how good of a script is it? I feel like I wouldn't go first, because I'm, like, a little harder on myself. I think I left it too much on the table with, you know, not going back to the work stuff and, you know, not really bringing enough conflict in. So I'm going to give it, like, a 6.5. Just because I think it was really funny, and I would still enjoy watching it. It just doesn't make as much sense as it should have. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I would go like a 6.5 or a 7. Because I think, like you said, it's got good bones. But there's just some, like, some bits that are kind of left hanging. Yeah. Honestly, it's, like, making me go, like, do I want to, like, write it better and then make a short film? Actually, let's cross that bridge after we watch the actual film. <laughs> yeah, I feel like... I do think that the plot is probably close enough to the real film that you kind of can't, but... Really? Yeah. You honestly, I mean, I wouldn't say that you hit many of the actual scenes that are in the film, but you do sort of follow the plot trajectory pretty well. Oh, cool. Love it. Does she fall in love with the, the Home Depot man? I feel like it's hinted at, but I don't know if they actually... I also just hinted at it. What the fuck? <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. It has been two and a half years since I watched this, so okay. I can't remember for sure. So do we want to talk about this script anymore, or do we just want to get into to watching the movie? I don't know. I don't think I have anything else to say. I'm going to watch this movie for the first time and see how much meat I really did leave on the table. Yeah, so we'll we'll return to you an hour and a half in the future. Okay, we have returned from viewing Brie Larson's Unicorn Store. It was a movie. It was uh, an hour and a half of film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't a bad film. It's just that, like, there were just so many questions. And there were so many things that it was obvious the writer just didn't take the time to research. Yeah, that's so true. And I feel like a lot of the characters lacked sort of coherent motivations. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them just seemed like the same person to be honest with you and then Brie Larson's character Kit her name is Kit she like changed motivation so much without there being like a catalyst it just she just decided to be better you know yeah 
I feel like the most consistently written character was, uh, in our script, I believe he was named Brad. Um, well, I say our, I mean your script. He was named Brad. He's the guy that works at the hardware store. In the movie, he's called Virgil. He's adorable, first of all. But also, like, I feel like pretty coherently written. Yeah, and I think that the parents make sense as well. I think so, too. I think a lot of their fights with her don't always. Oh, no. I would say, like, only the one at the end made sense. Yeah. Because it was like, you know, she does have to sort of be more responsible for her life. But it's just like so many of the other ones, it's just like, what are you even talking about? Yeah, like they, the, especially the fight they have in the basement, she buys like a, a bale of hay and dyes it in the kitchen to feed the unicorn that she's going to get. And then when they find this in her like little basement room, they like fight with her about it. But the fight is not like, you know, why are you building a mysterious stable in our yard with a stranger or filling our house with hay? It's like, <laughs> why wasn't the playhouse we built for you as a child good enough? And why do you like your imaginary friends more than us? Like, it didn't make any sense. Also, there were so many things that I guess were supposed to be, like, foreshadowing. It just didn't really make a lot of sense because they were like, here's just a bunch of stuff about her life that we're then going to address towards the end of the movie. When in reality, it's like, it just creates so many questions. And the film does not, is not strong enough to stand up to that kind of scrutiny. So they needed to just tell us some things from the jump instead of, like, trying to, like, put in all these hints and clues. Because, like... It was a fun film, but it's not, like, a masterpiece, and so it just can't really... It just didn't work the way that they wanted it to, you know? Yeah, and I feel like they justified a lot of, like, changes to... Especially Kit's character later on through stuff that they introduce only a few minutes before the change happens. So it's, like, it's very obvious that they're giving you more information solely to justify a choice that they're about to make a second from now and not because it makes, like sense with the arc of her character necessarily i think that the film wasn't a bad one like i know i'm like being a little critical but i don't think it was bad there's a lot more happening in this film than obviously mine mine was like a short like eight page script and so like i wish that i had done a a hell of a lot more world building and so like i was thinking about that while watching it's like you know there's a lot of interesting things happening like you know, she does join a temp agency and she ends up working in this office. And like the first day that she's there, the vice president of the office like is like, oh, you're cool. But also in the weirdest way possible. I don't know. I, I'm getting sidetracked with plot stuff. But like, I think that they did some things in interesting ways. It's just that like Christiana and I talked about this while we were watching and a lot of the film's plot points and the characterizations were extremely absurd but there was also like this realism that grounded Bree's Larson's like Kit's character that it just didn't work because it was sort of jumping back between like this almost like Wes Anderson like absurdity and then also like these very emotional moments with Kit that were supposed to be like grounded in reality and like logical reasons why she was getting upset and it just it wasn't it just wasn't working for me very well yeah i agree and i think you made a great point during the movie which is that they didn't commit either way Mm -hmm. if they had leaned entirely into these sort of caricatures of people that were very obviously sort of divorced from what real people would do it would have worked better or if they had gone the other direction and really grounded all of these people and their decisions in, like, things that make sort of logical sense to the audience, then it probably would have worked better. But they tried to play it sort of middle of the road in a way that left a lot of the actions of the characters feeling really disjointed. Something that also sort of came up a couple of times for us was that, like, Brie Larson's character just kept doing weird things with her face. <laughs> and, like... It just wasn't always working. It was just sort of almost distracting sometimes. And we were trying to sort of figure out what that might be. I said that maybe she was attempting to play that sort of campy, overblown caricature sort of thing. Because, like, Brie Larson is a good actress. She was in um, the movie Room, which she won an Oscar for her performance. And she did wonderfully in that movie. I love that movie. But she was just, like, making some really weird choices, especially with her, like, physicality. But I think also just, like, with the way that she spoke 
a lot of her lines in this that didn't make sense. And so I was like, maybe it's on purpose. Maybe she's trying to be campy and just not quite nailing it. And then you made a really good point, which was like, she also directed this movie. So it may be that this is what directing herself looks like and that she sort of needs like that second set of eyes of a director on her to like help her performance. Yeah, like somebody to sort of push her along or say, hey, this isn't working because, you know, she at that in that situation, she is the boss. I don't know. It just it means that there's not like as many people with their hands on, you know, the performances, right? I loved Virgil's performances throughout the entire thing. <laughs> he was great. I thought he did a wonderful job. He was so believable. He was so charming. He grounded the film in a way that it really needed. Yeah, because I think also, like, not only did he ground the overall narrative, I think having him in the scenes really grounded, like, the other performers. Like, Brie Larson especially, I think think the scenes where she does the best are the scenes where she's with him. Another thing that I think is really interesting that, because I'm looking at a note that I made, it's like, so there was this thing happening early on in the film where, like, there was, like, commercials on the TV that were sort of exactly describing what Kit was doing. And, you know, there were moments where it was just too meta, almost. And... It was like the film was extremely self-aware about what Kit was doing and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, so, and I remember us talking about that being like, you know, this is like almost too much. But I feel like halfway through the film, all of that stopped. Yeah, it is sort of like they gave up on it at a certain point. Which is like, also, then why is it in there in the first place, you know? Yeah, and I like I do think that those choices early on were sort of heavy-handed. But also, I feel like Kit's motivations were so opaque that honestly if they had kept those sort of things farther into the movie it may have helped make her choices more logical to the audience the last thing that i have written down here is that there was like a lot of like questionable clothing symbolism going on (laughs) yeah i liked her outfits i think that her they did a good job conveying what the character was like through her clothing but i do agree that they seems like they were trying to convey some sort of narrative with a lot of the choices that was like not really coming through yeah almost every scene that she was in her parents house she was always dressed the same way like very colorfully almost like childishly but then she found her mom's like old suit that it's like a long skirt that almost goes down to the ankles and like a blazer and that's what she was wearing to work because she doesn't have any like professional looking clothing I guess and over time instead of like a white button down she started wearing like a slightly more colorful button down and stuff like that um and so it's like okay so this is showing that she is like getting more comfortable with the idea of bringing her normal personality into the workplace this place that is very stifling but then she wears the skirt to like when she was going to pick up the hay for the unicorn so this is like she's completely not doing work things she's wearing this jacket that's just covered in pins and patches and it just like I don't know I like I was just like what what are you trying to say with the fact that she's wearing her work skirt outside of work you know yeah absolutely because it's not like you know there's like a point early on when she gets that job where she's like okay I'm grown up and I'm gonna be a professional now and we sort of see her kind of revert from that decision as the film goes on. But I don't feel like that reversion back to normal, like her normal self, is really followed with the clothes. Because like prior to that scene that you just described where they're picking up the hay and she's wearing the skirt. In scenes before that, she will be entirely in her like more colorful childish outfits. So if it was like, if they slowly sort of transitioned her from the more like formal office wear back to her regular clothing then it would make sense but it seems like they kind of jump back and forth and I feel like maybe they're trying to use it to symbolize what's like going on in her head maybe like at times when she's trying to be more professional and have it together she'll have an article of the business wear but I don't feel like that actually shines through in the way that Brie Larson acts those scenes so ultimately it just doesn't make sense. And it's also, like, the scene itself. She's, like, she's driving to the middle of nowhere to this farm to pick up hay for a unicorn, you know? So it's, like, that is, like, a very, I'm putting this in quotes, like, childish sort of action anyway. So why would she be bringing her business attire into that? And the other reason I have issue with the skirt is that when she's working, 
she only is ever in like that blazer and skirt and then she'll wear different shirts with it but we see that skirt a lot throughout the film and so i'm like i'm just confused it just confused me why it was there I agree. It feels like they were trying to tell us something with that, but I just cannot figure out what that should be. I'm like, I find, you know, her fashion was really interesting. You know, sometimes it looked like she was just wearing, um, like, a child's clothing in adult sizes. And I think that, like, worked for her character. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. And then the other, the only, like, other thing I have written down is that the company she worked for is called PR and RPR. (laughs) Yeah, that was really good. (laughs) because i'm thinking it's like uh like initials and then it's a pr firm right (laughs) yeah it was good um though i will say that some of the like the production design things that they did were a little bit questionable there because i know there was like this one whiteboard where it just said pr and r exclamation point on it and i just like i don't know it just was a little distracting for me and the only oh oh the lights christiana the lights the lighting it was a, the gaffer, which um, for people don't who don't know film things, a gaffer is somebody who does um, the lighting for like your scenes. Um, the gaffer was really in love with like uh, practical lighting, which means it's like lights that are in the shot that you're supposed to see. So like a lamp that's turned on, that's a practical light. It's helping you light the scene, but it's also like there to look good. The gaffer really liked it, but in ways that just didn't always make sense to me. There's this one shot where Kit is alone late at night in the office. And so, you know, you're looking across the sea of dark cubicles and then there's the light on in her cubicle. And then her co-worker is walking through the office and is just holding this, like, tall lamp. <laughs> like, and is just walking with this lamp. Yeah, it's like a floor lamp. Like, it has sort of, like, the traditional lampshade. Like, it looks like something you would have in your house. It doesn't even look like it would be in an office, much less being carried through by an office worker. Turned on. Turned on the whole time. Which means plugged in. <laughs> I, I just, it didn't make any sense. And then she walks out of the scene with it, and it's like, what? <laughs> and it's never remarked upon. <laughs> no, it's just there. And I, I, it just feels like the gaffer was like, oh, we don't have enough lighting, so we're just going to have to, like, light up this portion of the office. And somebody was like, no, we want to keep it completely dark. And then so somebody was like, what if she carries a lamp? And that was all the reasoning that was behind that decision. And it's so crazy because I can think of such an easy way that they could have still done that without carrying a lamp. Like, if she had an iPad with the brightness turned up that she was walking through holding and, like, looking at, that would have solved the problem. It would have, but it wouldn't have been absurd, you know? Um, I guess. And, like, there were other, like, that was the most egregious moment, but there were other moments, like, she was, uh, she had these Christmas lights that were lighting up a scene um, while she was decorating a vacuum cleaner. Long story. Um, And the Christmas lights were everywhere, and they were also, like, wrapped around the vacuum cleaner. And I was like, okay, like, I get the practical lighting here, you know, she's putting them on the vacuum cleaner, so it's going to be, like, a lot, but I don't understand why they're everywhere. And so I was already kind of, like, iffy about it, but then she reveals the vacuum cleaner, and the Christmas lights even aren't even, like, a part of the final design. They were just there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, like, stuff like that really kind of bothers me, <laughs> so I wasn't, like, super into it. No, I agree. I mean, I think there are some places where it really works. Like, I think the lighting within the the unicorn store itself was really cool. Yeah, Um, but the unicorn store is absurd. Yeah, so it fits. But yeah, I think I agree. Like, in the office and in her home, some of the choices they make really don't make sense. Mm -hmm. And fucking the, the lamp lights. Oh my god, the lamp lights. Yeah, she has an argument with her parents at the place where they work. Um, and they're outdoors because they run sort of a camp. Uh, like a summer camp sort of situation, but for, like, troubled teens, it seems like. Anyway, her parents are both wearing, like, headlamps during the fight, and so they're, like, moving their heads the whole time they're arguing, so the lights are just, like, dancing across her face, and it's so distracting from, like, the things that they're trying to say in that scene. Because every time her parents turn their head, her face just completely disappears. It's just, like, black. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's cool. Should we talk maybe a little bit more about the plot stuff? Yeah, I was going to say, do you want to discuss sort of like how similar your script was to the actual movie? The dialogue was different, but it almost felt like my um, 
like hardware scene was ripped straight out of the movie truly that's what i was gonna say is like i mean obviously your script is much shorter so there's some things that the movie gets into that you simply did not have the time to but i feel like you follow the story beats really well for the most part the beginning with the job that's like soul sucking and she doesn't like the sort of comical meeting with the salesman. Samuel L. Jackson's character in the movie is just called the salesman. He doesn't have a name. Obviously, like, where she starts off, like, sort of uh, on the, like, back foot, like, kind of confrontational with him until he's like, well, I have a unicorn for you, and then suddenly she's kind of sold. And then she goes to the hardware store to get help from the guy, and that goes very similarly. He comes and helps her out. There's not quite a montage, but there's also, like, not not a montage. Well, I guess there isn't a montage. Yeah, most of the building of it is completely off screen. But you do get that sort of succession of, like, her coming back to him in the building at different points to show, like, a progression. Which is obviously, I mean, the way they do it isn't a montage because there are scenes between them. But I do think that you hit on sort of the vibe of it. Mm-hmm. You just did it in a more succinct form because your script is short. I was, The big difference, of course, was the ending. And honestly, can I be real with you? Yeah. I think your ending is better than the movies. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, there's supposed to be this super emotional moment where, you know, she's finally going to, like... The guy calls her and is like, I have a unicorn for you. And so the unicorn turns out to be real. And it, there is actually, like, a unicorn in the film. And she goes to, like, finally get her unicorn. And then she sees the unicorn and suddenly decides that she doesn't want it. Yeah, she has this, like, whole monologue about, To the like, unicorn. <laughs> yes, to the, it's just her and the unicorn. And she's, like, crying. And she has this monologue about how, like, when she was a kid she had a unicorn imaginary friend who like helped her through these hard times where she felt really lonely the way that i read that scene is that she decided that now that she has virgil in her life who does sort of take her as she is and accept like her sort of quirks and weirdness and likes them she decides that since she has him she doesn't really need the unicorn anymore and so there's this other person that was mentioned by the salesman who's on like the waiting list for unicorns and so she's like you should go to her because i don't need you but it's, like, that whole change of heart happens in this, like, in media res of this dial, like, this monologue that she's delivering to the unicorn. So it does sort of come out of nowhere. Yeah. And then, like, Virgil, who she's been fighting with for the past, like, ten minutes about whether or not the unicorn is real or if uh, the salesman is, like, trying to scam her, show just shows up at the store. And, and he did not come with her. No, like she left him and he was like, you shouldn't go. It's fake. This guy is going to maybe hurt you or steal your money or whatever. Uh, And she goes anyway. And then he just like, I would say three quarters of the way through the monologue, he just shows up in the store and is like, yeah, he just walks through the door. The reality of the unicorn is revealed to him. And he doesn't even react. Not really. He has this sort of like awestruck look on his face, but he doesn't say anything about it. Can I talk about how I read that scene? Yeah. So to me, it was more just like, you know, I am more grown up now and more sure of my place in the world now. I mean, she's she's a very selfish character. So much of like her motivations are always about how she understands herself rather than how she sort of is with people around her. And so to me, it was more just like, you know, I am in a better place now because I'm more willing to just be myself and know that that's who I need to be kind of thing and I think Virgil does play a role in that to the point of I don't know I just like I don't like Virgil didn't really factor into that scene for me but I like I do like your reading of it that's just not what I got when I watched it but it's the ending where she's like um you gotta I'm like there's this other person who needs you more than me or whatever and she she shows up with a card like the the other woman when she's walking out the other woman is walking in which is insane to me because when um, she got her card, there was nobody else around. She was, like, tested first to determine yeah. that she was worthy. And this woman just gets the card and suddenly it's, like, unicorn time. Well, no, no, no. What I was trying to say is that, like, it's the whole cycle is going to start again. Like, I think that she's mm. going to go in there and she's about to be tested by the man. I see. And I think that he does this for everyone who is like Kit and who needs a unicorn. And it's really just to teach you a lesson about, like, loving yourself. Hmm. like finding that love that the unicorn was going to give you yeah that makes sense but i do think it's i I agree with you that it's weird that kit is there when this new woman shows up because Mm -hmm. like kit was sort of also 
like her part of her test really seemed to be like are you willing to believe in magic when you have no proof that the magic is real but this woman sort of doesn't have to be tested in that way because she already shows up seeing that someone else believes it yeah and so like it's not it's not the same thing at all yeah, like kitten has not had any interactions with anybody else other than the salesman right yeah, I like my I like an ambiguous ending for something like this. So that's why I did that with my script. There's there's some interesting stuff with like the work arc. So obviously I didn't have a work arc in my film. And we talked about how like if I were to rewrite it, I would put one in there because it's important. But honestly, like what even is the work arc? Because there's really not that much that happens when she's there other than like her boss is sort of hitting on her and potentially like sexually harassing her vaguely and she just doesn't get it and she just like kind of blows it off and like Virgil tells her, hey, this is kind of weird and she's just like, ah, and like completely like moves on from it. Like it does, like she doesn't even think about it. Yeah, it is weird. My take on the work arc, I guess, is that it seems like for a while she really tries to live in both worlds. The adult world where you go to work and you do project proposals and you make copies in the copy machine and you wear your ugly suit and you, I don't know, chat with your office buddies or whatever. So she's like trying to live that life. At the same time, she's trying to live the life where she's building this like stable for her unicorn that she's going to get and so for a long time it seems like she tries to play it both ways like she dyes the unicorn's hay fancy colors for it in the middle of the night in secret in her parents kitchen and then she goes to work in the morning and like you know does the office stuff and so by the end of it when she finally like pitches her she has to pitch a design for a vacuum cleaner like, as a marketing thing, because she was an art student. Uh, it only sort of makes sense, but we will accept that but much of it. Really. Um, <laughs> so, like, she shows up, and she gives her pitch, and then in the giving of the pitch and designing that pitch, she it seems like she decides that she doesn't want to pretend to be a stuffy, sort of buttoned-up, quote-unquote, normal person in the office. She's going to be her, and she's going to give her pitch, and she's not going to live halfway anymore. And then she is summarily rejected and then sort of fired and sort of quits when it goes really badly. So the way that I read that essentially was that, like, you can't live your life halfway because it will make you miserable. But also, you can't expect the world and sort of the rigid parts of society to take you entirely as you are. You sort of have to find your own, like, niche in the world. You can't put a round peg in a square hole kind of deal. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that final message, but it's like we could have gotten that final message with the first time she goes to work, one other time she goes to work, and then the um, the meeting. It's just that there wasn't anything really happening in all the time she went to work, you know, other than like somebody like one of the co-workers was being weirdly passive aggressive with her because like the boss was having like these weird little sexual comments to her and the the co-worker was really pissed off and like because she used to be there and she wanted to be there again you know that's that's the kind of thing it's just like but it didn't really add anything to the story like so much of the time that she was at work just didn't really do anything for me and, like, I, I loved the, the final scene where she gives her pitch and she decides to be, you know, herself and, you know, the way that that goes. I think that was really well done. And that was probably one of the best scenes in the film, if I'm going to be honest. But there wasn't really any other, like, any other stuff that was happening at the job that really added anything to the film for me. I pretty much completely agree with that. I would say that the only, like, the sexual harassment stuff was pointless and weird and unnecessary. I feel like I don't, I mean, I they just don't. addressed any of it. It served no purpose to the overall theme, and also there was no resolution to it. It just happened a lot and then stopped happening when she left. I do think the passive aggression from her co-workers, I think the purpose of that was to show that she is very isolated from the people that are sort of in her peer group. Which serves, I think, as a motivation for why she wants the unicorn so desperately is because she feels like no one her age who she's supposed to be friends with will give her the time of day or take her seriously. But we get that from, like, the fact that she doesn't have any friends other than Virgil, who she just met. 
you know, yeah. and that, like, it, she seems already very alone outside of work. Yeah, I mean, they tell us several times that she has no friends. I feel like this was their way to show it. I don't think it was maybe necessary, but I think that's what they were trying to do with it. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is what they were trying. It just didn't work <laughs> for me, anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you about the ending, that the lack of ambiguity was to its detriment. What I think I liked so much more about your version of the ending in your script was that, like, even though the the Virgil character of your script obviously is, like, not totally on board with the unicorn, he is willing to, like, hear her out about it. Mm-hmm. Which I think makes more sense than, like, revealing that the unicorn exists and then he's been like, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real, the whole film, and then sees it and it's like, oh, you're wrong. Like, I feel like nobody, neither of them needed to be right or wrong because that the unicorn wasn't the point. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't, like, I don't know how this movie didn't understand that the unicorn is not the point. <laughs> yeah. It's the unicorn that, like, taught her the final lesson. Like, the unicorn, ha- like, with the way that this film was written, the unicorn had to be in the film in order for her to get what she needed to get. But I think that it would have been so much better if on in the process of, like, trying to get this unicorn, that's it's the process that made her learn, you know? Yeah. And that she doesn't need this, like, magical friend that will love her unconditionally forever because she's, like, she's met a friend who, even though she's, like, weird and very different from him, does like accept her and really like these sort of unusual parts of her and so she doesn't need the unicorn because she has him yeah so do we want to talk do you have anything else to say about the film or do you want to rate it uh let's rate it okay you go first i would say i would give it five and a half stars points whatever I guess star systems are usually out of five. So I would I would say I would give it like a five and a half, maybe a six out of ten. Because like there were parts of it that I really liked. I found many of the characters very charming. But I find an inability to stick the landing sort of unforgivable. I, I was going to give it a six. And mostly because of, you know, I did like the characters. But there were just too many inconsistencies in the like, the conflicts, like, the reasons that the conflicts were happening for me, that I just, it started to annoy me a little bit. Like, why is she fighting with her parents? Like, there wasn't either enough conflict or there was too much for no reason. And that's really ironic considering I forgot to put any conflict in my own version. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that's, that's still where I'm at with this film. No, I totally agree. And I think, I don't know, it has good bones. (laughs) It needs to, I feel like it needed to go undergo several rewrites. So do we want to re-rate my film? (laughs) Or do we feel like, do you feel like your opinion has changed at all? Or that you're still kind of at where you were when you first read it? I think I'm at where I was when I first read it because ultimately, like, because I rated initially your film at like a six and a half or a seven I think and I would Mm -hmm. stick with that because uh being slightly higher than this film because you had an ending that made sense (laughs) (laughs) and I feel like if you can't conclude your narrative then what was the point of having the narrative you know what I mean that's fair yeah I'm I'm gonna stick with a six I can't remember so I guess I'm rating them both like the same thing (laughs) I just, like, there were some things in my scripts that were kind of unforgivable, um, because, like, I feel like there were things where I just really needed to create more conflict. I think the Samuel L. Jackson character needed to be, like, a little bit more fleshed out. Um, yeah. So, you know, I feel like there that's unforgivable for mine, and then you were talking about the kind of stuff that was unforgivable for Unicorn Store, so, Yeah. Before we conclude this episode, I have one final question for you. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I did write this script based on another piece of media and (laughs) based on sort of even like the characterization and uh, plot points of that media. So is it fan fiction? We discussed this question, the idea of this question, several days ago, and I have been thinking about my answer to it ever since, (laughs) and despite the fact that it's been several days, I still cannot decide which way I want to fall on this, because, like, there is a strong argument, I think, to be made in either direction, like, is it or isn't it, 
Um, and I don't know which I think holds more weight because like on the one hand, you do take a piece of pre-existing media and create a new piece of media from it. It was a transformative work. Yes. On the other hand, the fact that you never saw the first piece of media <laughs> makes it hard for me to say that it's fan fiction. Because it's like, if we took this, so let's say this is something with like a pre-existing fandom. Like if I watched, I don't know, a, a Marvel movie and described the plot to you and then you wrote like a short story about it. Like, would that be fan fiction? It's the same situation. But if you've never interacted with the first piece of media, I don't... Because fan fiction sort of necessitates fan. (laughs) And how can you be a fan of something that you've never seen? Okay, so I'm a person who has read fan fiction for things that I've never seen before. But you've never written it. The person that wrote it did see it. But you did see it. And described it to you. And described it to me. So, I think it could be. (laughs) I also think it could. It's definitely a transformative work. Yeah. I, and because it is a piece of fiction that is in written format, then I guess, technically, technically you could call it fan fiction. I don't love that that's true. (laughs) But it isn't about whether or not I like it. It's about the classification. And I think technically you could classify this as fan fiction. This piece of fiction would not have existed if not for Unicorn Store, the original thing it was based on. Right. And it is based on it. So, yes, I think it is fan fiction. But only, only barely. (laughs) It's like a new species of fan fiction, like previously undiscovered by man. And for our last little segment, I have looked up the movie on Archive of Our Own, if you would like to hear what the tag is like. Oh, yeah. Go for it. There are six works in no Unicorn Store. No way. I know. Okay, but hear me out here. Two of them are fan videos, so not fan fiction. Transformative work, yes, not fan fiction. Um, two of them are reader self-insert shipping with Brie Larson. Oh. <laughs> which, okay. I mean... Chase your bliss, but not for me. I mean, I think Brie Larson is incredibly attractive. Don't get me wrong. But um, I can't... I don't know what about this movie inspired those. (laughs) Anyway. Is there enough characterization in this film to even... Okay, whatever. Go ahead. Go ahead. And the fun thing is that one of them is, like, shipping with the character in Unicorn Store, as well as it looks like some other Brie Larson characters. But one of them is just Brie Larson slash reader. And it's tagged Unicorn Store? And Captain Marvel. Oh. But it's just Brie Larson. Okay. Do you um, think it's like she's acting in those films at the same time as, like, like, you're, this like this reader is having a relationship with her? What's possibly. the summary? Read me the summary of that one, please. There is no summary. Oh, never mind then. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a... <laughs> a Castiel Sam Winchester fic. In yes, in, it's it's an AU that they've tagged for the movie. Is it like? Is it like? Wait, Castiel Sam? Yes. Wait, 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 <laughs> Castiel Sam. Okay, and then it's who's playing what character? The summary does not allude to that. It gives a very vague sort of like non. It reveals nothing about the plot, and I don't. I really don't want to open it. <laughs> Can you read me the summary just so I can still try to wrap my head around this a little bit? Sure. It says, sometimes when you try, you fail. Your dreams don't come true and you get a little lost. Sometimes that's okay. What is important is that you try. So, I mean, it it gives you nothing. Yeah, like, okay. <laughs> the final one is for the Thomas Sanders seri- like web series with the, like, personality traits. No! It's an AU for that fandom okay and wait what is it tagged there it looks like it's shipping the anxiety character and the creativity character and you can guess which one is which yeah based on unicorn store yes like i don't know what i was expecting when i came into this tag but that certainly wasn't it (laughs) literally nothing with virgil in it at all no why don't they like he was the best character and they're like fuck this hardware store guy i don't care about him but i care about him he is the best character, and holy fuck. 
Okay, I think maybe that does it <laughs> for this episode of Fiction Fan and Otherwise. I'm not going to make any promises about when the next episode's going to come out because the last time I did that, I said within the month, and that was like five months ago. Whoops. Uh, Why would you? You don't have to say that. Look, grad school <laughs> is hard and sometimes things come up. Don't worry about it. So yeah, we will be back, but who knows when. We'll see you when we see you. Yeah, okay. Thank you for listening. <laughs> We'll see you next time. Bye, mom. Bye, mom. Okay, that was not, that was nothing. (laughs) Maybe the Netflix summary has something more. Oh, yeah, let's definitely look at that, because I love Netflix summaries just in general anyway. No, don't start the movie. God damn it. Hello. Am I not allowed to read your Netflix summary? What the fuck? You're not allowed to cut this. (laughs) Okay. More info. There we go. Okay, here we go.